Good morning, City Light. Andy, thank you so much, Andy, Paul, Randy. That was uh, incredible. I really felt like, man, you guys were worshiping. I feel like the Holy Spirit, you guys led us in worship. It's felt like you were anointed. So, uh, love it. Good morning. Uh, my name is Jason. Uh, I get the joy of serving Jesus here as a pastor at City Light Southwest Iowa. Just uh, so good to have you guys here in this house. Uh, as you notice, like, hey, this is a hideous sweater. Some of you guys didn't get the memo. Some of you did. Some of you just like, I'm not wearing a hideous sweater. I don't care. Um, we, we take Jesus really seriously, uh, but we take ourselves lightly. And one of the things we're going to talk about today is the joy that Jesus brings us. And practically, what better day to have an ugly sweater than a day where we're reminded that Jesus gives us joy, right? And so if you guys are wondering, is this our normal attire? It is not. Um, although, I'm going to be honest with you, this sweater is super comfortable. Like, I mean, like, legit, you could sleep in type comfortable. And I'm thinking, like, I, if I could wear this out and about, I probably would. I don't know if I could pull it off. Uh, the kids helped me pick it out. It's Daddy Shark. Those of you who know that song, I won't sing it. I won't do that to you. But um, so it's so good to have you guys today. I want to encourage you guys to stick around. We're going to have a worship dinner, uh, a Christmas dinner. Where we're just going to gather. Uh, a few of you guys were up literally all night long, like smoking turkeys, decorating. So after today, man, go downstairs. If you haven't been down there, there's six smoked turkeys, and I'm telling you, like, I'm, I might cut the sermon in half just to hurry up and get down there and eat. Uh, we got some ham. It's going to be great. And so I just want to encourage you guys not to rush out of here today and just enjoy the blessings that Jesus has given us as a family with a meal. And so don't hurry out of here. Uh, stick around afterwards. Um, so we're going to jump into the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 2. If you're not there, that's where we're going to be. And we're going to continue to look at the birth of Jesus Christ, right? Uh, we're in that time of year where Christmas is coming. You don't got to worry because you've got a few days left. And if you don't get it done by this Christmas, there's always next year. And so let's just kind of relax, take it easy, and look at what the birth of Jesus Christ means. And so Steve read from Matthew chapter 2. And we're going to see in this context here... The, Matthew wants us to know that a king was born. But not just any king, he wants us to know that a king who brings joy was born, all right? And so my hope is that as we walk through chapter 2, as we look at uh, verses 1 through 11, we're going to see that not just any type of king, but a king who brings joy is born. Uh, and as I was thinking about this, uh, I was, this week had a unique experience. Our daughter turned 10 years old, which just blows me away that we have a 10-year-old kid, um, just, it goes by so fast. You know, of course, you start looking at pictures, and you're depressed. And, uh, but we, we thought to celebrate her birthday, Stephanie says, hey, I got this great idea. Let's go to the Nutcracker in Omaha. And I thought, that's awesome, right? Nutcracker's a great play, historical place, been around forever. Everyone knows it. So we go to the Nutcracker at the Orpheum Theater in Omaha. And as we're walking up, I'm thinking, like, this crowd looks a little bit different, right? Because everyone's about this tall. And we go inside, and there's, like, hundreds of kids going by me, hundreds of kids more going by me. Hundreds of kids and more going by me. I looked at Stephanie. I said, what's going on today? She goes, oh, it was Omaha Public Schools field trip to the Orpheum today. <laughs> and, and I thought, so we're going to watch Nutcracker with literally what felt like tens of thousands of kids, which wasn't, but it was thousands of kids. And so we're sitting there literally surrounded by kids at, you know, 10 years old and younger. Thousands of them. It might have been 700, 800, 900. I'm not sure. But as we were watching this play unfold, man, the joy that these kids had. I just, I, 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 was, I marveled at the joy that these kids had. Like, even the simplest thing, and I'm not even going to try it. Like, when a dancer would do, like, this twirl, they, the kids would be like, oh, wow. 
And they, I mean, they were leaning into it when Santa came on stage. Like, they were clapping. They were, they were, it, would have been, it was so fun to be a part of and just be reminded in the simplest fashion that the simplest things can bring the greatest joy. And for me, the, the play was okay, but watching it with a room full of kids reminded me of the joy that Jesus brings to us. Because a lot of times kids uh, have more joy for us. And the best way I can say that is as we grow, as we experience life, by the time we're 30, we're 40, we're 60, what tends to happen for some of us is we have things that hurt us, things that cause us pain. And rather than processing those and working through them, we have this insulation that's kind of around our heart, if you will. And so our heart doesn't get to beat like it normally should. You, you can be a healthy adult who has the joy like a child. Remember Jesus said we should have a childlike faith. I think in a lot of ways Jesus thinks we should have a childlike joy. As we were watching this nutcracker unfold, and I'm seeing these kids just celebrate with the joy that kids tend to have, I was thinking, man, what are the arts going to be like in heaven like, what's music going to sound like separate from sin? What will a play look like separate from sin? What will love feel like separated from sin? When you take that insulation of pain and grief off our heart, what's that going to feel like? And as I sat in this room with these kids, I thought to myself, man, I wish I had joy like these kids have. That's what Jesus brings to us. That's what he's offering to us. And so as we walk through Matthew chapter 2, my hope is we say, man, Jesus has brought us joy, all right? That's the kingdom he wants us to live in. He wants us to have that joy like kids have. And so that's part of the reason why we're, we're trying to manufacture in some way. So let's open up to Matthew chapter 2. How are we doing? How's the food smell doing? Is it hitting anybody? Like some of you are already in that pre-state turkey coma. Even the smell is getting to me. So we really got to lean in today, lean forward. Let's walk through this together. Let's be intentional about listening because we're going to have some good food afterwards, all right? I promise. Here we go. Let's read chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. All right, so what Matthew is doing, he's setting the scene for us here. There's three people we need to know. We need to know the wise men, we need to know Herod, and we need to know Jesus. And so if we look at Herod, Matthew wants us to know who this is. There's a historical context to that, right? We can go study history and say that Herod actually existed. Herod named himself the Great, which I found interesting that people followed along. Like, how do, how do you do that? Like, I'm Jason the Great, and people are like, okay, that's fine. You're Jason the Great, right? Like, that just doesn't seem like that would work out. But he names himself Herod the Great. People follow along. But there's this, this type of kingship he has, that I want you to grasp. See, Herod was a tyrant. Herod wasn't the type of person that you would hang out. Herod was the person that you would want to be away from. You see, Herod loved power so much that he literally murdered multiple kids, like his own kids. He murdered his own son. In fact, he even murdered his own wife because he was threatened that they were trying to take his kingdom from him. Uh, the emperor of Rome actually said it was safer to be Herod's pig than it was his son. And so we have these contrasting kings, right? We have Jesus who's born a king who, who literally sacrifices his life to empower us, to enrich us. And then we have Herod who literally murders his own son to hold on to power. And so we have this contrasting kingship here. One brings grief and suffering. The other one brings life and joy, all right? And we have these men from the east. They're called the wise men. 
Now, they're coming on the scene. A lot of us here, we've got the, the nativity set. The wise men are just there, their decoration. There's three of them, right, because that's what the gifts were. But we don't know how many wise men there were. In fact, we don't even know if they came to when Jesus was six months old or when he's two months, two years old. The reason we know Jesus was at least two years old or younger is because Herod murdered every two-year-old and under. And so we know that Jesus, at some point between birth and two years old, the wise men come to see him. We don't know in that span where we came. We don't know how many they came. But what's significant about the wise men is who they were. Can you imagine if you look out your window one day and there's an army of 500 people, you see the Supreme Court Justice, you look out and you see the Secret Service agents, you see helicopters flying around, you're going to be kind of wondering what's going on a little bit, right? Like, man, what? What's that? A few of you are like, no, nah, I'm good. I'd be all right with that. Me, I would be a little nervous, right, if you see some armed guys on your door. So the wise men's job was to recognize kings. When they came from the east, what they're doing is they're actually traveling to say a king was born. So think of it like when a president gets sworn in as into the, the oath of office. We have a Supreme Court justice who says he's, he's the president now. The wise men were the people who said, these are the kings, they were the kingmakers. Like, you couldn't be a king if the wise men didn't recognize you. And so when Herod looks out, he could be looking out at an army. He could be looking at a hundred wise men. He could be looking out at one wise man. More than likely, these men traveled equipped to defend themselves. They traveled with the powers to protect them because they were that far up in the chain of command. Are you following me here? So when Herod looks out and he sees this display, he recognizes what's happening. My kingdom is being threatened. Like, I literally cared. He literally murdered his sons not too long ago, and now there's these people who are saying there's a new kingdom that's being ushered in. I, I can only imagine how Satan felt when Jesus' birth, how that, those two fears paralleled, how across the kingdom we see there's this fear. Here's Jesus is born. He's a baby, right? Who could be frightened of a baby? It's a child. Like, who seriously in their mind gets fearful of it? But Herod understood and recognized what was happening. And so Matthew wants you and me to understand that when Jesus was born, the highest people in the world recognized him as king. Like, if, if, if the president, uh, if, if they said that somebody here was important, or if the Chinese president came here, or the emperor of Japan, if NATO came and said that this person is to be in power, like, we would stop we would say, what's going on here? And so Matthew wants to, us to understand that the official powers of the day recognize Jesus as king. It's not just some people that are peasants. Do you understand? Like an army literally may have been mobilized. And so these wise men came to recognize who Jesus was and what he was. So let's keep reading here. How are we doing so far, huh? Are we doing well? Are we engaged? I'm working through it a little bit faster than normal because like I said, I, I'm smelling it myself. Uh, if, you, if you see Joe around, like he came in, his eyes were kind of droopy. He was literally up all night smoking the turkey. Um, and so if you see him, tell him thank you. Uh, my first reaction wasn't thank you because he came in and told me he ruined the turkeys. And I thought, well, that's kind of a really mean joke, right? <laughs> so um, so my, I, I will tell him thank you afterwards. I think I've calmed down from that. I'm working through anger and repentance, so you guys can, <laughs> right? Uh, so we re let's keep reading here in verse 3. When Herod, the, look at Herod's response. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. So he looks out at this display, right? And the word here means like there's this inner turmoil that's going on in Herod. It means to like turn from within. It's to be frightened, to shake. It's to be so concerned with what is happening here. And what I love about this is I want to ask the question, why? 
Like, what is it about the birth of a, of a Savior that would bring about such troubling conflict with a, within a person? And we see here what happens in his kingdom in all of Jerusalem with him. So not only was Herod troubled, but all of Jerusalem. And we're seeing two types of kingdoms here. We're seeing a kingdom that brings about grief and pain. We're seeing about a kingdom that brings about bitterness. And then we're seeing a kingdom that brings about joy, servanthood. We see one that takes away anxiety and one that gives anxiety. We see one that is troubled and one that is not troubled. Are we seeing the, the parallels here? But as I read this, I think to myself, man, how bad did Herod want to hold on to power? He literally took away one of the most precious relationships God has given us. That is between a husband and a wife. And then he was willing to hold on to it so bad that he took away one of the second most precious relationships between a parent and a child. He was willing to end those two to hold on to power. And as we look at that and we think about it, it's not a matter of belief. Because when we look at the wise men, they give us this formula that belief in the prophecies of old and trust equal action. So they believe that Jesus is prophesied, that he's going to be born king. And so they do something about it. They go and they actively pursue Jesus. And we see that go into action. But Herod doesn't. He hears the prophecy and believes, but his action is different, right? His action is to literally murder, to harm. And we have to ask ourselves why. Why are some people, when they hear that there's a savior and a king born, motivated to do harm and other people are motivated to do good, Maybe I can help you answer that question. As I was talking to somebody this week, a gentleman who's struggling with some different addictions, I was talking to him. Uh, we were talking about <clears throat> the, the Bible. We're talking about relationship with Jesus Christ. And I just paused, and I was kind of forward with him. I said, man, where, where are you in your relationship with Jesus? Like, where, where are you in your belief with Jesus? And he said, Let me, can I be honest with you? And I said, no, please do. Please be honest. Because I have a hard time believing that a serpent talked. And he went on to name this other stuff. And I was like, man, I'm with you. Like, not only do I have a hard time believing a serpent talk, like, man, the, a donkey? Like, there's a talking donkey story. Like, you don't dress that stuff up. Like, that is just, that is out there type of stuff. I said, there was a virgin birth. That's hard to believe. I said, and there was a perfect person that ever lived. That's hard to believe. I said, but even greater than all those is that a righteous God can forgive sinful people. That's hard to believe. And so as we're talking about it, and we're wrestling with it, and I'm laying out the gospel with him, I point him to Romans 3.23. We talk about all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? See, there's this thing that we tend to think, like we can argue people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Like, if we can lay out the facts for them, then they'll believe, like, Jesus is a historical figure. The history books prove it, right? There were people who lived in the first century that believed that Jesus rose from the dead. That's historical. You can't deny any of that. But the reality of it is, it's not a matter of belief that tends to hinder us. It's a matter of hurt that tends to hinder us from accepting the gospel. Because what happens when we believe that a king was born, that a king came to live and die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, what we then have to acknowledge is that we're sinful and we're broken. And what tends to happen when you acknowledge that you're sinful and broken is you begin to feel. And for one of the very first times in your life, first time you feel might hurt. And so what I was trying to convey to this young man is his hindrance to Jesus Christ isn't a belief in a talking serpent. It's the reality that he just want to acknowledge that he's sinful and broken and that he's gripped by his addictions because of the pain in his life. And so the hindrance to the gospel of Jesus Christ 
isn't belief that Jesus existed, it's what it does in a person's heart. Had Herod admitted that Jesus was born to be a savior, he would have had to admit that the murder of his son was one of the wretched things he could have done. Could you imagine the pain you would feel when you're honest with that? The murder of your wife. And so for us, very practically, the reason why people reject the kingship of Jesus Christ is because the first thing we tend to feel is that which sets us free from pain and hurt. And he begins to cultivate a heart within us so that we can have joy like a child. I think of those kids at the Nutcracker, like they had joy that was, it was expressive. And I, w- I told Stephanie, I said this, please don't take this offense. It would be so much fun to preach to those kids. Like they just didn't, every word they were clapping, every action they were clapping. It was like, this is a fun, joyful room. And that's what it's going to be like in heaven when all the sin is removed. It's like, man, every word off of Jesus' lips, we're going to be like, yes, yes. Every song, we're going to be leaning into it because finally the pain that we feel in this world would be no more. And so we ask ourselves, why did Herod reject Jesus is because what it would have done in his heart. So a lot of us, we push back on Jesus as Lord and Savior because we have to admit we need a Savior. That's challenging. You know, one of the first steps in, in your faith with Jesus is to lay down your life. That's a courageous act, isn't it? To lay down your life and follow him means to accept him as your king and your Savior, and like a physician, to allow him to work on what's happening in your life. And so we see here where Herod is troubled, but he doesn't respond like you and I would. Like when we're troubled, we run to the king who gives joy. Herod, on the other hand, doesn't run to the king that gives joy. Let's keep reading in verse 4. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem in Judea are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So what Matthew is doing here is he's grabbing hold of a verse that's back from um, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. I want to read it for you. It says this, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephathra, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. And so Matthew is trying to help you and me know that the prophets have hoped and waited for, longed for the birth of a Savior. They've admitted that there's a holy and righteous God, that we've sinned against him, that we're no better than Herod. Each of us here have done things that have separated us from a holy and righteous God. Like, we need that Savior. They hoped for that coming. And here we have this coming. And what's beautiful about Bethlehem is this is the place where the sacrificial lambs were born. This is the only place in all of Israel where a sacrificial lamb was born. Of course, Jesus was born to live and to die as a king to offer himself for you and me. Contrary to Herod, who literally took life, Jesus gives life. And so we have this prophecy of old that pointed to it. Everyone knew. But the thing that I'm grieved about is Israel missed the coming of their king. The scribes and the Pharisees helped point Herod, to the prophecy, not to to help Jesus, but in some ways to harm him. You think about this sometimes, like who are the people who most miss Jesus? And unfortunately, it's the most religious people. It's the ones who have the most righteous life. Look at their self and say, man, I'm doing well. I'm doing good. Rather than saying, man, I need a savior. Like when I go to bed at night, man, I feel anxious. When I go to bed at night, I'm, I'm hurting. When I go to bed at night, I have regrets. 
When I look at pictures of my kids, I don't necessarily celebrate because I remember the times I made mistakes against them. Like, that stuff hurts. When we were celebrating Grace's birthday, like, there was a part of me that was like, man, I've made so many mistakes in that girl's life. Like, your first kid is your guinea pig. And and I don't care who you are, but like your fourth kid, you kind of got to figure it out a little bit. So we got four kids. I don't know, maybe if you figure it completely out by the time you got 10, but I'm not going to know for sure. Because I think four, (laughs) four is a full quiver. Like, I'm going to sit down someday. And Stephanie and I joked around, like, some people have savings accounts. Like, maybe we need a counseling account just so that our kids, when they grow up, like, they can go through therapy and kind of work out some of those things of having grown up in our home. That's hard to admit. Right? I'd rather deny that. I'm saying that I'm a good parent. But I need a savior, even in my parenting. And it's good to know that I have a king who died on the cross to forgive me for my sins against my kids. But even better than that, can rescue them from my sins against them. Like, he's a far better father than I'll ever be to him. And he loves them as a daughter far better than I can love them as a daughter. And that encourages me to know that as much as I love my 10-year-old girl, my uh, 8-year-old son, my 6-year-old girl, and my 4-year-old boy, that there's a Father in heaven who loves them far more than I can ever love them. And, and that encourages me to know that he's going to pursue them like Jesus pursued you and me, that we have a king here who brings joy, who didn't come to be a conqueror, but instead came to be a servant to give life. And so we have in the Christmas story, we have a story of Jesus who is saying, I've come to give life, that a, born is, a baby is born. And I think in some of us, those of you grandparents understand the first time you hold your grandchild. I remember the first time I held grace. I didn't realize at the time, like just the, the weight of that moment. I wish I could go back in time and just talk to myself and say, man, this is a moment that you'll reflect for the rest of your life. There was so much chaos around the room. I was so hurried by the nurses and all this. I was so concerned about everything going on. I just wish I would have sat in that moment and paused. I just told the nurses, no, you get a blood pressure later. You can check your temperature later. And I just would have held her for an hour, two hours, whatever. Instead, I'd let that moment get past me. And so when we come to Jesus, like, he doesn't let those moments get past us. Like, he, he reaches into our life and holds us as his child. And so we have two types of kings that are happening here. We have a king who comes to give life because he loves, and a king who wants to take life because he's full of fear. And we see what happens here in verse 9. So we have a king who's been born. I'm sorry, I'm missing my main ideas. We have a king who's been born, right? And now we're starting to see here in verse 9 a king who's imposed. And after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Look at the Magi's response. I love this. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now, they didn't didn't rejoice because there was a star in heaven. They rejoiced because of what that star meant. I can imagine these men who, by faith, led hundreds of people out of a country, expended so many resources, hoped for the promise of this Messiah, and here they're finally seeing it, right? Some of that's probably relief. Like, ooh, I'm not an idiot. Like, it actually has happened. Like, we, they've said, people, please trust me. Just be patient. Just wait. We've been traveling for two months. We've been traveling for three months. And here's this star because it means that our Savior has been born. Now, some people think that the wise men are just random people from the east. But more than likely, we read through Ezra. Not Ezra. We read through Nehemiah, right, recently. We see the story of Ezra. We see the story of Nehemiah. There was a remnant that got left behind in Babylon. More than likely, these are Jewish remnants who've been hoping in another country for the king to be born in their home country, if you will. And so they've traveled to see this king who's born. 
They spent their life hoping for and longing for, much like we will someday hopefully see the gates of heaven open for us and say that it all was true. This was true. Jesus lived and died so that we could be forgiven. And we'll have that same feeling, but we see very practically that they rejoiced with great joy. Now, you got to think about this. This is despite everything that's happening in the world, right? They could have been attacked traveling. They could be weary. They could have broke a foot. There's so many things that could happen in life, and yet they come to this point where they're seeing Jesus, and there's great joy. And I want you guys to grab onto that today. Because I think sometimes we don't quite allow Jesus to be king of our life, and instead we're gripped with fear. We're gripped with anxiety. We're gripped with things that cause you and me to tremble, much like Herod. And here's what they do in verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. I love this response. They fell down and worshiped him. Incredible. You only worship a God. So you have the kingmakers who not only recognize Jesus as king, but they recognize him as God, and they worship him. So what's our response to Jesus' birth? Our response is to worship Jesus. Our response is to, much like those kids in the Nutcracker, to rejoice exceedingly with great joy, to recognize what Jesus has accomplished and is accomplishing. Like, he's not a savior or king that leaves us in our sin, but he takes us from death into life. And the message of Jesus is one where we're born again, right? We're a new creation. The old is gone and a new is here. And so the things that used to grip us, the things we used to be struggling with, are no more because we're a new creation. This is the king that we have. City Light, this is the hope that you have, that there is a king who brings exceeding joy. The birth of Jesus is one of hope. It is not one of conviction and condemnation. It is one that says there's a king born who loves, who encourages, who sustains, who recognizes the depravity of man, right? We recognize we're sinful, but we're set free from it. And so we, like the wise men, can fall down and worship him. And then they opened their treasures, and they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And each of those are symbolic. Each of those have meaning of his priesthood, of his kingship. And so they're saying, like, we know who and what you are, and we've come here to worship you. We have traveled far distances to worship you. We have hoped when others have told us not to hope. We have believed when others said not to believe. We recognized when others didn't recognize. Israel missed the birth of their Messiah in their own land. And the question for you and me is, are we missing the kingship of Jesus in our own life? Like, If we were to take inventory for a minute, if we were to ask ourselves, is Jesus king of our life? When was the last time you felt anxious about something? Because Herod was troubled, right? Herod tried to be his own king. He tried to manipulate life and have power in such a way that when there was loss of that power, he became anxious. And so when's the last time we felt anxious or fearful? When was the last time we trembled? Because if Jesus is the king of our life and you don't have enough money to pay that electric bill, whose responsibility is it to pay that electric bill? If you are in the will of God, if he is a father who is gracious and loving, you can simply say, Lord, I trust in you. I know you're going to provide for the electric bill. I'm not saying that we're going to like name it and claim it type of stuff, but if Jesus is our Lord and Savior and we are doing his work and his will, then there's an obligation for him to be a provider if his word is what it is. And so we can practically say that I don't have to worry about the things of this world because I have a king in heaven who is far more capable of all of it and he's in control of all of it. And so the decision at work, man, should I take this promotion? Shouldn't I take this promotion? Should I take this job? You know what? In some ways, none of that matters. The question is, God, do you want me to take it? 
God, do you want me to work here? If you are indeed the king of my life, I want to submit to your lordship because I want to be where you are, and that's where joy is. And so the question for us, very practically, if we're experiencing what Herod experienced, who's the king of your life? Is it Jesus or is it you? And if we're honest, the reason we don't want to step into Jesus' kingship is because it means we're letting go of power. And there's something for all of us that's so tempting to hold on to that power because if we can hold on to that power, we can manipulate, we can control, we can be certain of the outcome. But much like Herod, we can't be certain of the outcome. And so we're far better to step into Jesus' kingship and let go and give him power. But what that tends to happen, our first step, if we're honest, is that humility, right? It's what it does in our heart when we lose control and we lose power. But it's far more joyous to give it up to Jesus. And so the, very practical, let me give you an example. The salvation of my kids. Man, I want to point them to Jesus as much as I possibly can. I want them to have a relationship with Jesus. I want them to grow up to know and to love him, to not experience the hurts that I experienced. Instead, have a life where they follow him. But I know that is all outside of my control. I can't force my kids. I just have to simply trust that God will reveal himself to them in such a way that they would say he's personal. Because if the only thing they know is that Jesus loves through me, then they don't know a personal Savior. And so I need God to show his love to them in a personal way. And so I have to give that over to him and say, God, I trust you. I'm not going to try to manipulate a situation. Like, I'm not going to hide in the closet and pretend like I'm the voice of God. Grace, this is Jesus. I love you. know, I'm not going to manipulate or control like you guys. Are, you never hid in the closet before, apparently, huh? I'm the only one. Yeah, probably, right? Um, that's what happens at our house. I do, actually, I love practical jokes. I walked in this morning, and my office is decorating cats. And uh, I have a love-hate relationship. It was primarily hate with cats. And so I just love that it was decorating cats. I think love language is practical jokes, personally. <laughs> Sarcasm and practical jokes. And so um, whoever did that, that is so awesome. That just made my day. Like, that's, I'm thinking, Jesus, for joy, Right? We have a king who gives joy and he gives life abundantly. And so my heart for you guys is that the birth of Jesus is one about kingship and you're stepping into his kingdom. And so there's two parallels. We have Herod who is tyrannical and Jesus who is life-giving. And so if we have anxiousness, if we have fear, if we have bitterness, if we have any of those things, my hope is we just step into the kingdom of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying you're not going to be fearful at times because to give him power, give him authority, sometimes is one of the hardest things you can do. But it's one of the most joyous things you can do. To know you have a father in heaven who lived, who sent his son to live and die so that you could spend eternity with him and have the joy that a kid would have at a Nutcracker concert. Like, I wish everyone was there. Like, it was incredible. You didn't even care about the play. It was just like, these kids are phenomenal. And my hope for us as a church is we have the joy that those kids have. Like, we're set free from sin and death, and we're given new life. And that's my prayer. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for what you're doing in this place. I thank you for these people. I thank you that Jesus lived and died, that you hung on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, and simply by professing our faith in you, Lord, we have you as our King and as our Lord. I thank you that you are a Savior to us, Lord, not a condemner. Instead, Lord, you're a forgiver, and I thank you for that. Lord, I pray that as the pressures of this Christmas season weigh upon us, we can be reminded that you lived and you died, that you could take the pressures from us and we can simply live freely as your children who trust in you. Lord, I pray that every person would understand the freedom that's found in that. 
to know that you are a Savior who gives, a Lord who is, is reigning right here, right now, that you're not past tense or, or just future tense, but you're present tense, you're eternal. And so, Lord, I pray right now the weight of your kingship, the goodness of your kingship is felt, and so that we would know the grace that can only be found in Jesus Christ. But, Lord, I pray that the joy that can only be found in Jesus is felt in this place right here and right now, that we would feel set free from the worries of whatever have followed us in, we would say that Jesus is reigning, that he is the king, that you hung on the cross to set us free from that, that in you there's security, there's certainty, there's not questions or what ifs, there is no. And so, Lord, I pray for every person that's in here, I ask that their heart would be set free, that they would step out of the fear of unbelief and into the, the certainty and hope of belief. Lord, I pray that you would be personal to every person in here as well as to my kids. Lord, I pray for my, my, all my children. I ask that they would know and love Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. I pray for every person in here that they would know and love Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior all the days of their life. That they would know that you are a life-giving king, not a life-taking king like Herod. Lord, I pray for this and I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.